Well, good morning again. Um, as we get going this morning, I want to kind of share with you, um, we've been talking a lot about our REACH initiative and um, what's coming, and a lot of times I know it's really difficult to picture and visualize what that's going to look like, and so I wanted to share with you um, real quickly as we start this morning, um, this is an artist rendering of what the auditorium is going to look like. There's another one that will be on the screen. Um, and these are going to be out in the foyer, so you can go look at them after worship this morning and see them. The picture on the screen looks good, but I promise you, go look at one of the pictures that will be in the foyer because they look amazing. And so um, it's going to be really, really cool. Um, how's that for a, like a high school kid? This is going to be cool. Go back to the 90s. It's going to be rad. Um, sorry. Um, but do go check this out after we get done this morning. Um, it, this is something that we're going to be proud of, and um, I hope that you're praying for. Along with that, I, I do encourage you to sign up and join us in the 40 days of fasting and prayer and be a part of that with us as we look forward um, to our REACH initiative. Because it's not just about what we're doing for us now here. It's about us today reaching into tomorrow and people's lives being transformed and changed for years to come. And so um, please continue to be in prayer for that. The other thing I wanted to kind of update, more of a public service announcement. Um, I've I've told many of you I was not going to have surgery, and that changed this last week. And I am going to have surgery um, on my shoulder this next week. And so um, I want to encourage you, though, next week to be here. Um, No, I'm not going to preach with hydrocodone. Um, I like my job, and so I thought I would keep it. Um, But one of my really good friends from growing up named Doug Page is going to be here preaching for us. Um, If you don't know Doug Page, you probably at least know of his wife. Her name is Lana Litton. And so um, Doug and I grew up in the same youth group, but Lana grew up here at Shiloh. She's the daughter of David and Diane Litton. And so Doug's going to be here preaching. He's going to be continuing in this series for us. And so um, please um, be here next week. Um, I promise you, Doug will richly bless you. So, I want to begin this morning with a simple premise, and it is this, when and how we begin the story, and when and how we end the story, will shape and determine the story that we're telling. When and how we begin the story, and when and how we end the story, will shape and determine the story we're telling. Last or two weeks ago now, um, we talked about this word as we begin the series, gospel. It's in Greek, euangelion. And most of the time when we talk about gospel, we tend to mean something like this. That man was sinful. And because of sin, God sent Jesus into this world. And if you trust and believe in Jesus, then you will be saved. Repent, be baptized, and you're going to be saved. And usually what we mean by being saved is that we get out of this place and there is something on the other side in heaven waiting for us. And as we're waiting, if you'll live a good life and be a good person, then you'll assure yourself of heaven. And typically, in some form or fashion, that's typically what we mean when we say gospel. That's the the picture that we're trying to draw or paint for people. 
And while that story, there is truth in it, the story is very personalized. It's very much about you and what you need to do to be saved. It's very much this picture of your decision and what needs to happen in your life. And we tell it much more eloquently than that. We're we're pretty good at telling that story. But ultimately, the goal in that story is that we're in this physical place and we want to get out of this physical place someday, somewhere, somehow, and arrive in this spiritual place later on. And, And the focus of the story is not so much about this life, but the afterlife. But it's intriguing to me that when you read the New Testament, much more of the Bible is focused and centered not around the afterlife, but this life. How we live and breathe and interact in the world as the people of God. And so this story we tell, like I said, is not wrong, but I think it's rather incomplete If you remember back a few weeks ago, we started this series with kind of our home base in this series is in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want want you to listen to these words again. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. If you remember that word gospel, it's good news and it really means proclamation or announcement because what Paul says there is I want to remind you of the gospel and he literally says this the gospel I gospeled to you the announcement that I announced to you the proclamation that I proclaimed to you and it wasn't just that Jesus is savior but it's that Jesus is now king that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is Lord. And so I want to, this, this gospel, I want to remind you this gospel that I gospeled to you and which, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than five hundred. So this idea that here is the gospel. Here's what Paul is proclaiming. That Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. This was the news, this was the proclamation, this was the announcement of what Jesus had done. And it really encapsulates his life and his ministry Not just simply this death, burial, and resurrection. It's Jesus and who he is as the announcement. Because what we we talked about is news. For news to be considered news, it has four kind of criteria. 
The first is this. It's an announcement of an event that has happened. This is Paul's announcement. That Jesus has died. That Jesus has been buried. That Jesus has been raised. That Jesus has appeared. This is the announcement of what has happened. But secondly, the story of what has happened takes place inside the larger context of a bigger story. There's a bigger story that happens, and it's only within that bigger, larger context that that story that has happened truly makes sense. And so many times what we say when we talk about gospel is this small part of the story. And we never look at the according to scripture part. Do you you notice that phrase keeps popping up as Paul is talking? That Christ died according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised according to the scriptures. So what's the according to the scriptures? It's Paul's scriptures. It's the Hebrew Testament. It's the Old Testament, what we would call it. It's this larger context in which this smaller story starts to make complete sense and take on new meaning. And then number three is there's a sudden unveiling of a new future that has happened because of this event that has happened. There's this new reality that has now been breathed into life, that has been resurrected, that's been raised up because of this event that's happened within the context of this larger story. And because of that, the present reality that we live in, as we wait between these two truths, has now changed. We, we talked about it in terms in week one of Caesar. If you remember back to this, the story of Octavian winning this decisive naval battle against Mark Antony. And they had this de- decisive battle in which Octavian's navy defeated Mark Antony's navy. And slowly throughout this new empire that was rising to power comes this announcement. Hey, there is good news. There's a proclamation. There is a new king coming to power. And his name is Octavian. He is going to be Caesar. He is going to be king. He is going to be emperor. He's going to rule your life. Now, if you were on the side of Mark Antony, that doesn't seem like really good news. Because what it would make you do if you wanted to live and have life in this new kingdom is dismiss and put aside the allegiance you previously had to Mark Antony and say, now I'm going to submit my life to this new king, Caesar Augustus. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to live life under his rule and under his reign And so this was the announcement that became all throughout the empire. That this new Caesar has come to power. This new Caesar is Lord. And that is good news. And so Paul begins by saying, let me tell you of the gospel. Let me tell you about the the proclamation that I proclaimed. And it's this. That Jesus has won the decisive battle. He has beaten, he has defeated sin and death. In his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his appearance. 
He is the conquering king. But this conquering king comes in the context of a larger story. You see, this larger story doesn't begin where we typically begin our story in Genesis 3. Where man and woman have sinned. But the larger context of this story begins in Genesis 1. Is God creates his good creation. He speaks into existence this garden temple. This tabernacle, the place that he would dwell. And he places there these divine image bearers who would represent him redemptively in this world. They would govern and take care of God's temple, his tabernacle, his dwelling place. And they would represent him to his creation. That through their lives, people would see what God is like. Through his people, he's given this divine image to. But this simple task gets distorted. And Adam and Eve find themselves on the outside of the garden looking in. And there's this movement that begins as people move away from the garden. This move eastward. As they move away from the presence of God. But we can't simply go from there and jump to the story of Jesus. Because what God does in the midst of this brokenness is he calls one man named Abraham. And he says, you're going to go and leave everything you know. And you are going to go and bless the world. The world will be blessed through you. And through this man Abraham, this one nation called Israel, who is to embody God and be his priests and stand up on his behalf. And through Israel comes this one church that he has designed and given the ability to be his image bearers, to govern the world, to be his priest, and to represent him redemptively in this world. And he calls this church empowered by his spirit to embody him is flesh and blood here on this earth. To literally be his hands and feet. And so Jesus inaugurates his ministry with this proclamation about himself. Because for most people, if you had won that decisive battle, if you were now the coming king, you would have heralds who would go out with this proclamation, this announcement, this good news that there is a new king. In fact, that's what Paul calls himself, a herald. But the announcement comes first here through Jesus himself. So after John was put into prison, this is in Mark chapter 1, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And, and Jesus uses that same format here 
that Paul uses. He uses that same format of the gospel I gospeled. He says, again, proclaiming the good news, the, pro, the proclamation that I'm proclaiming. This euangelion, this euangelizo, is that the kingdom of God, here's the announcement, here's the proclamation, that the kingdom of God has come near. How has it come near? In the person of Jesus. How how has the, the kingdom appeared? How has it made its entrance? What does this inauguration look like? It's through this person who's come and now stands central as a central figure on all of human history with this good news that there is a new king. There is a new Lord. There is a new Messiah who has come. And Jesus makes this proclamation about himself. That the kingdom of of God has come through its new king, me. So what is the kingdom of God that Jesus speaks of? It's synonymous with with this idea in the Gospels of kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. It's what John means when he talks about eternal life. It's what Paul and the other writers of the New Testament refer to when they talk about salvation. But the kingdom of God is much more this idea of the reign of God rather than this physical realm. It's where God's reign is supreme and where he is king. Because that's what a kingdom needs, correct? A kingdom needs a king. And so it's where his rule and reign is supreme, and it refers much more to this reign of God rather than the realm of God. Second, it's both present and future. It's some, in some mysterious and sacred way, it exists now, but yet is still coming. That it came in the person of Jesus through his death, his burial, his resurrection, through his life, through his kingship. And there's this larger story that's taking place in the midst of, and it's transforming this new future reality. That the kingdom of God has come, but it is still coming. How's it doing that? It's doing it through God's people. It's doing it through his ambassadors. It's doing it through his priests. As we carry that good news, that proclamation that Jesus is king. So he talks about this good news, and he also prays for it. Do you realize that's something Jesus specifically teaches his disciples to pray for? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus does not pray for is that his disciples would get out of here to heaven somewhere else. But they would bring the kingdom reign of God to this earth as it is in heaven. Because eventually, 
this gets recreated. That things are restored. That things are made right. And the the, the last thing that it does, this idea of kingdom of God, it brings up the idea of allegiance and commitment. And they are so entwined in these words because Jesus comes in and he says, repent and believe the good news. And this is so much of kingdom language that we've kind of reduced into our biblical language and made it very religious. Because typically what we mean by repent is usually stop sinning and start doing right. But it was so much bigger of a concept of that. Yes, Jesus wants people to stop sinning and live right. Yes, there's truth there. But it was much more the idea of, okay, I'm following this king. I'm submitting my life to this king. I'm going in this direction. I'm following after him. And then there's this sudden realization that there is a new king. And I'm going to cut ties with all those previous allegiance. And I am going to go the other direction and completely reorient my life around this new king. That I've submitted my life here to this king. And I am laying all those allegiances down to submit my life to this new king. Repent. It means to turn. It's we're moving this direction and we're going to do a 180 and go this direction. And believe that for us is so cognitive of a process that we, we want to think and know up here that Jesus is Lord. But the message of believing begins here through the gospel. It's your heart that takes over your head and your mind. And so now I'm going to give my heart, my soul, my whole life, my strength, my physical ability, everything I have is going to be submitted to my king. Because I know, listen, I know if I do not submit my life to this king, the result of that could be death. Correct? See, thousands and thousands of thousands of, of people were crucified daily at the height of the Roman Empire because they refused to bow down and acknowledge that Caesar was king. They refused. Now, some for different reasons. But then there was this small collection of people. And an out-of-the-way small corner of this empire that began with this new proclamation, that began to rise up. Not that Caesar is king, but that Jesus is king. That Jesus is reigns and that I am going to cut ties with all my previous allegiance and now submit my life to the new king king Jesus and so their idea of what it looked like was much more about what it meant to be a disciple 
whereas we have become so consumed with people making decisions. Very few times in the New Testament do you find them concerned with decisions, but always concerned with disciples. We, we don't want someone who made a decision that Jesus is Lord. It's not that that's not an important part of the, the picture. But it's about the bigger context of the story. Not just that Jesus is saving you, but that you're cutting ties with all your other allegiances to submit your life to King Jesus. And yes, he saves you in that. But you aren't just giving him your life that needs to be saved. You're giving him everything you have. Your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, we've made this kind of a two-step process where you can make a decision for Jesus but not really become a disciple of Jesus. And the two were never meant to be separate. It was always the same. The decision wasn't just that Jesus would be your Savior. The decision was Jesus would be your Lord. And that because of that decision, you would reorient your entire life around this new king. That that you would just say simply, God, you can have everything I have, it's yours. I'm not holding on to anything else. I'm not giving it to anyone else. No one else gets this. It's yours. Here is my life. That is what the water represented. When you submitted your life to Christ, you were baptized. It represented you dying along with all the other allegiances that you held on to. And saying, now Jesus is king of my life. And I will follow, I will serve no one else but you. I find myself daily needed to be reminded of that. Because it seems like every day there is something else popping up that is calling for, that is demanding my allegiance, my commitment, and my life. The same thing that was true in the garden. That God put his divine image bearers in this place to represent him in this world redemptively is still true today. That God has given you this divine image. The Greek word is ekoin. It's where we get the word icon or image bearer, or idol. Maybe it's why God says, don't create an image of me. Because he already has. And it's you. You are called to be his priests. You are called to serve his kingdom. You are called to lay down all your other allegiances and commitments and submit your life to him. And you, like me, probably need to be reminded of that 
every single day. In our country, it is possible for someone who is not born here to come here and become what we call a naturalized citizen. And as they go through this process, they come to the end where they have this ceremony. And here's what every single person who becomes a naturalized citizen of our country recites. Solemnly, freely, and without mental reservation, I hereby renounce under oath all allegiance to any foreign state. My fidelity and allegiance from this day forward is to the United States of America. I pledge to support, honor, and be loyal to the U.S., its constitution, and its laws. I think we should still that. And I think right before we enter the water, we should say something like this. Solemnly, freely, without mental reservation, I hereby renounce under oath all my allegiance to any foreign state. My fidelity and allegiance from this day forward is to the kingdom of God. And I pledge to support, honor, and be loyal to Christ the King, His covenant, and His commands. let me tell you if you do this Rome's not going to be happy my guess is if you do this Rome is going to look at you as a threat my, my guess is if you do this you will become an outsider. But I believe that's the very thing Jesus called you and I to do. I think far too often we want this to be our home rather than the kingdom that we're called to be builders of. This whole series is simply about asking this question. Have you submitted your life fully, freely, without mental reservation to build His kingdom? And I know some of you are asking, but, but what about here? What about where we are? I, I think Jeremiah, as he speaks to the people of Israel who are in exile on behalf of God, has a great, great answer. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage 
so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have, I have carried you into exile. Pray for it, for the Lord, to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I, I think that is quite plainly what the engage portion of the REACH initiative is about. It's about us being for the city God has placed us in. And we want to be a church that is seeking its prosperity and well-being. Because God has planted us here to be a blessing as his priests, as his image bearers, to represent him redemptively in this world. And the same thing that Jesus calls as he inaugurates his ministry, repent and believe the good news is the same for us today. Repent. Turn from all other allegiances and submit your life to King Jesus. Come under his lordship, his rule, and his reign because this is what the kingdom of God looks like and it has come near. Father, today in this place, Father, may we lift up the name of Jesus. May we submit and surrender our life to the King. And Father, simply give our allegiance, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength to King Jesus. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and our shepherds and ministry staff, you want to be heading towards the back at this time. If you've never submitted your life, given your life to King Jesus, we do offer you that invitation. Come, submit to him, die, and be resurrected. That is the invitation as it always is. If we could simply pray for you wherever you are, we're going to have ministry staff, shepherds around this auditorium. However we could help you, please come while we stand and sing.